0: I want to welcome you if you're a first time guest with us. We are excited that you are here. And if you're not a first time guest, we're excited that you're here too, okay? So you're not left out. But we are ending our series called Picking Up the Pieces, where we dealt with deconstruction. And what we talked about in this series is this idea that deconstruction is really okay. Like to really understand and bring your faith down to an understandable level and kind of figure out what was cultural and what was community and what is Bible really matters. And it's okay to do that, but it depends on how we do it. And so this series was designed to help us do this well. And so today, as we finish this series, I think we're going to end on the most important aspect of this, and that's to understand and know the love of God. And so we're going to end in chapter four today, as we look at what God has to say to us. And, um, This message really hit home as I was uh, studying this week. I thought about this encounter that I had on an airplane. So as a pastor, you have to be really careful when you get on airplanes because you are stuck next to someone for hours at a time. And so generally, I don't let people know what I do for a living, right? So we like get into the conversation, we're talking, they're cussing at me, you know, like all of these things. And then um, like somewhere in the conversation, they say, oh, so what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Immediately, they, their eyes glaze over as they are rewinding everything that they had just said to me for the past two hours, right? And this one time, and normally either the conversation dies or it gets really deep very quickly, which is great. Like I love talking about those things, but there was this one time I was on a plane and I was going through a hard time personally. And so when I got on the plane, I just said, God, please just let me not talk to anyone today. Like, can I just, like, for these next three hours, can I just be on a plane, right? I'm going to put my headphones in. I'm not even going to do anything productive. I'm going to just, like, be here. Well, God had different plans for me that day. And so I sat down, and um, we were talking, and, the, you know, the conversation came up. What do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. This person's countenance immediately changed. They went from super friendly to really not friendly at all. And so we began to discuss, and this person was like, oh, there's just so much wrong with all of you Christians. And I was like, oh, okay, well, like, you want to dive deeper than that? Like, what, what do you mean? And so as we began to talk, it was clear that this person had been severely hurt in church. And that through that hurt, They had begun to really deconstruct everything because like, they did not see how Christians lived and what we said we believed and how those matched up. And they had been the recipient of some really kind of nasty things. And so what I realized is, is because of the behavior of others and some of the things that they had experienced, bitterness had taken root in their life. Like it was deep, deep bitterness towards God and towards God's people. And what I realized is, is I really had nothing to do with what the, these other people had done to this person, but I was now the recipient of this, right? We, we say love overflows, well, so does hurt. Hurt overflows too. It, it has a tendency to leak. And what I realized is, is this person isn't mad at me. They don't know me. They're upset, they're bitter in their life. And what I realized, and, and what I think about now is, the only thing that we could talk about is all of the things that went wrong and how poorly everyone behaved and all of these things. And what I began to think about is, is, is there anything good in your life? Like, is, like this bitterness had taken so much um, ground and had been so deeply rooted in this person's life that it had skewed everything in their life. I mean, it went from everything, like relationships ended, friendships ended, uh, this person was dating someone in the church, that relationship ended because of the things that they had experienced, they had uh, relationship issues with their parents, like, we, I, I just looked at this and I saw this root of bitterness in their life, and it just dug down so, so, so deep, and what I realized is, like, bitterness has blinded you, it hasn't made you more aware, It has made you hyper aware of the wrong things and you can't see any of the right things. And that's what bitterness can do to us. Bitterness can put blinders on us that we can't see what is out in front of us. And as we talk through this series, one of the things that I find um, as a reason to why people deconstruct a lot is not necessarily because they're pursuing truth, but because they have hurt in their life. And then this root of bitterness enters into their life, and then they have problems. And maybe you are in this room, and you're like, well, I don't have any like, kind of church hurt. And I don't—well, first of all, you're, in, you're not normal now, right? Like, church hurt happens a lot now. And so—but may, maybe you have it in your relationships, Maybe you have it in, in, uh, in your marriage. Maybe you have it in, with your kids or your boss or your job. Like bitterness has a way of taking root in our lives because bitterness keeps us bound. And it's definitely used by the enemy to keep us stagnant in our life. Let me give you guys just a quick kind of definition of what bitterness is. Uh, uh, Someone who is bitter is angry and unhappy because they cannot forget bad things that happen in the past. This is a Cambridge definition of what bitterness is, that anger and, and bitterness and really fear and unhappiness are in their life because they cannot forget the bad things that have happened in their life. And so what ends up happening is this moment that hurt you so bad becomes the catalytic moment in which you view everything in the world, right? Like there's um, these, you know, you'll hear it, like a guy breaks up with a girl or a girl breaks up with a guy and it's a nasty breakup and what do you hear? I'm, I'm not dating anybody. I, I hate all men. I hate all women, right? What you're telling me is there's bitterness, Because what you're also telling me is that even if there was a good person out there, you wouldn't see him. Because bitterness has taken such a root in your life that now it controls everything that you do. Here's some signs that bitterness may have taken root in your life or in the life of someone else, right? Here's the thing. Most of the time, we don't think we're bitter, right? Because it's not a good look. And so we'll say like, man, what's going on? I'm not bitter. And you get angry that I just asked, why are you bitter? Right? I don't know about you, but if I'm really not bitter and someone says, I think you're bitter. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm fine. So yeah, I don't have to argue my way out of it. But here's a couple signs that bitterness may be part of your life. They hold a grudge like their life depends on it. Why would you hold a grudge? The reason you hold a grudge is to protect yourself in the future. I'm going to hold on to this hurt. I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. I'm going to hold on to this anger because, man, that is now an anchor in my life, and I don't want to ever experience that again. So now that's the lens through which I view everything else in this world, and I hold on to a grudge. Why? Because I think a grudge protects me. Grudge doesn't protect you. Grudges bury you. How about this? There's always complaining. Always complaining. Always complaining. Have you ever been to a restaurant or to an event or to something with someone and they complained about everything at the event so much that now you hate the event too? You're like, I don't want to, this place is awful. You're right, right? Like as soon as they get to someplace good, they don't want to see it as good. So they got to find it bad. Why? Because if I can get my, my disappointment out of the way first, then I'll never be disappointed. Right? So it's like, I'm going to find everything wrong with this in life so that I'm not caught off guard. Do you do that? Do you look at people? Do you look at churches? Like maybe you walked in here today. It's your first thing and you found 10 things wrong with bedrock. Let me tell you something. There's probably a thousand things wrong with bedrock. If you look for it, you'll find it. I promise you, because what you look for is what you will see. So not only that, they're always complaining. They are not grateful for the good that is in their life because the bad always overshadows it. You know, like something really great happens in your life and a bitter person will say, well, nothing lasts forever. (laughs) Right? It's a wedding day. Right? It's my wedding day. Man, isn't my wife awesome? I am so excited. And the guy's standing at the bar going, nothing lasts forever though. (laughs) Let me tell you about how my wife just left me. And you're like, okay, okay, today's a good day. I'm trying to be excited. Well, don't be too excited. You don't want to be let down. Just give it a couple of years. years. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like bitterness. God, I pray. (laughs) I don't know who it was, but Lord, lift them up. (laughs) Free them today. They want bad things for those who have hurt them. They want bad things for those who have hurt them. They're jealous of anything good that happens in other people's lives, right? Because, man, misery loves company. Misery does not like good. Misery likes bad. And people who are bitter tend to pull people down to where they are rather than being elevated to where those people are. They can't be happy for others. They act out to get attention. They're cynical, right? Right? Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. Everything is this. Everything happens, and and there's no good intentions in the world. They're quick to blame others for their problems, right? Because bitterness, we can't accept that something we did may have contributed, and so what happens? Well, the reason I am the way that I am is because everyone else is the way that they are, right? I mean, this is really common today. Think about our current age. Do we have a bitter culture? I think so. I think so. They have nothing positive to say about positive people. I'll tell you, you know when you're bitter when you hate positive people. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, I don't know why someone else's joy and happiness would get under your skin if you don't have bitterness in your life. So when someone is excited, someone is happy, I mean, like if you're angry and bitter, the greeter at the door is the worst person in the world to you. Because they're like, hey, welcome to church. And you're like, I, why are you so happy? It's 900 degrees out here. Your face is melting. How can you be happy? Right? Blessed, never stressed. Quiet. I hate you. Please. You cannot be around positive people. And then here's, I think, the biggest thing. They make sweeping assumptions. Everybody's like that. Every church does that. Every guy does this. Every woman does that. Right? Everybody is guilty. Why? Because you're really great at holding a grudge like your life depends on it. And you can't allow yourself to be free for fear of being hurt. Does this sound like a good way to live? Does this sound like, man, this is what I want my life to be. I just want to be angry. I want to be alone. I want people to distance themselves from me. I want to not be happy. And I want to not be happy so much that I want to make everyone else not happy. That's the life I want to live. Like, does that sound like the American dream and how you want to retire? Just angry? I mean, even like when you talk to certain people and they're just angry that kids are having fun outside. Like in a neighborhood. What are those kids doing? <laughs> they're just having fun. I hate it. Get them out of here. Right? It's like, okay, what happened to you? Something didn't go right in your life that you got to make everyone else's wrong. Does that make sense? And so if this isn't the way that we want to live, hurt has a way of planting a seed that allows bitterness to grow. And when we are bitter and when we are in this part of life where we are just so angry at everything and everyone and they can't do anything right anymore. And then not only can they not do anything right, but anyone who's remotely associated with that person, they can't either. What happens is, is you're not protecting yourself, you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of meaningful relationships, meaningful moments to see what is beautiful in the world and to see what is good. You know, they just did a, a study. I was reading about this, how, how much your mentality can affect you. They were, uh, this was a science experiment, okay, and they were feeding rabbits high cholesterol diets, basically the American diet. They just gave these rabbits the American diet, okay? And what happened is, is they had two groups. One group, they just gave this terrible food. And to another group, they would actually, the the researchers would pet the rabbits and speak kindly. As they served the food, they'd be like, oh, you're so wonderful. You know, whatever you say to a rabbit to make it happy. I don't know, but they did that, okay? You know what they found? They found that the rabbits who had nothing positive in their life, the diet almost killed them. But the rabbits that positive things entered their life, they turned the cholesterol because of chemicals released in their brain because they were happy and it turned the cholesterol into something healthy. And the rabbits who had positive influence in their life did not have a cholesterol problem because of what had happened. I mean, isn't that incredible how much your mentality can shape what's going on in your life? It can f- fulfill and grow and, and help you understand and, and really becomes your reality. Because what you want to see is what you will see. And so, this hurt or this disappointment or this anger or this is the way it should be or whatever begins to take a plant and plants a seed. And let me tell you something what is planted grows. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 15 says. Make every effort, every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Here's where the key is. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The author of Hebrews says, look, bitterness will take root in your life and it will grow. And it will not just cause trouble for you. It will cause trouble for many. And so what the author is going to say is, look, at the basis of bitterness, bitterness is kind of this, this seed that is planted and it is the root of unforgiveness. It is this root that will grow in your life and it will blind you to the beauty that is right in front of you. And here's the reality. Bitterness shuts down love. In fact, bitterness and love have no way of adding up into the same conversation. Because I will submit this to you. Not only does bitterness not cause you to love other people, it really causes you not to love yourself. Right? Because everything that could be good in your life, you're removing yourself from. And so if you're walking in bitterness, you're not really protecting yourself. You're really harming yourself. And you're not growing in goodness, and all it is doing is taking from you. And so let me ask you in this room, what is growing in your soul? What moment, what memory, what catastrophe, what disappointment have we in this room allowed to be planted in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls? And it is taking root, and it is starting to destroy your life. Maybe it's with the person sitting next to you in the room. You haven't held hands in 3 years. Maybe it's like you are married but you might as well live with a stranger. You guys are just maintaining a business. You're not living in marital relationship. Maybe your kids departed from the faith or something happened in their life and you're done. Maybe it's that boss or maybe that teacher, maybe, but something, something caused you this harm in your life and you've allowed it to grow in this world and in your soul. And it is dominating you because it's honestly the opposite of loving others. It's the opposite of us walking in what God has for us. And so John understands this bitterness I mean, if you really believe and think everything that I've learned is wrong, they deceive me, they move me in this way, they talked about things so accurately and so confidently, and now I've found out something different. Man, I hate them. They led me astray. I've developed part of my life on this thing, and now, like, why would you deceive me like that? And so you let this bitterness grow, and you begin to separate from God's family, from his church, from God, and anger is just devouring you in this life. See, because when we walk in bitterness, we miss out on the greatest gift of the world, which is love. And in John's message here, he's going to begin to talk to us about love and the things that we can miss out on when we walk in bitterness. If you have a Bible with you, open up to 1 John Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. If not, don't worry, the words are on the screen for you, or we have free Bibles out in the lobby for you as a gift. Listen to what 1 John chapter 4 begins with. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is really important for us to understand. What is the genesis of love in the world? It is God. God is the beginning, the start, the source, and the sustainer of love. And so if we're far from God in our life, it's going to be very hard for us to love others. So here's what happens. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Look at as it continues here in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that amazing? That we would have life and life abundantly and life on this earth and in this life and in the next abundantly because of what God is doing for us that we may live. So what does that mean? If we walk in bitterness and the opposite of love, are we really living? No. It's like we're spiritually dead. We are walking around as spiritual zombies. The body is alive, the mind is alive, but the the soul is dark. It is having a hard time. And so God says, look, if you want to live fully as you were designed, love is part of that process. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think that there's one really important kind of distinction that we need to make at the beginning of this. Because here's the reality. God is love. This does not mean that love is God. What happens for a lot of us and where bitterness can take root is when we approach God from the idea that love defines God and that God does not define love. But the reality for you and I to really begin to understand what love is, is that God defines love because he is love. Love does not define him. Because how many of us know, like love in the world, it's all kinds of messed up. It's all kinds of weird. It doesn't work out properly, right? Because many times the world's kind of love is, I love me so much, it overflows to you. This is not the way that love is meant to operate, right? This is not that that God loves us so much that the love of God overflows into others' lives and, and in the way that we treat one another. And so let me just ask us, maybe some of the root of bitterness for some of us in here is we were defining God as by the love of the world, rather than letting God define to us what love is. Maybe we've gotten a little bit mixed up in our life and in our thought process in the fact that we have maybe a decent definition of love, but not a divine definition of love. And so as we begin to unravel and unpack what happens in these few verses, we need to begin to understand that God is the definition of love. Love does not define God. And as we approach this and as we look at this, maybe for some of us, that perspective shift needs to happen as we begin to uproot bitterness in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. That we would say, hey, I had a decent definition of love, but man, it wasn't that God defines love. Right? Because even if God defines love, how would it change the way that you look at the people who are your enemy? How would it change the way that you look at the people in the institutions, in the places that harmed your soul? Because when we see the way that God loves, God loves his enemies. God loves those who are completely against him. That while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. This changes everything. This changes the way that we look at the people who harm us. This, this changes the way that we look at how we deal with hurt. This changes everything because if God is loved and I have to define love now in the way that God does. I have to look at it and go, man, is my way selfish and it's still good, but is it the greatest? I'm not here to tell you that your definition of love is terrible. It's probably pretty good but I don't want pretty good love. I want divine. I want godly. I want something that's so great that when I was at my worst, it loved me at my worst. And I'm just going to tell you this. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The kind of love that loves you at your worst, the Bible says is foreign to humanity. It's foreign. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the way humanity loves each other, I'm not that like in on it. You ever just feel like I don't belong here? Do you ever look at the world? Do you look at the way that people love each other and all of these things in the way that they treat one another in the way that they, they, they do good for one another and go, man, I just don't belong here. I don't get this. This doesn't seem great. This doesn't seem like good. This doesn't seem, in fact, look what it's producing. I think that our country, according to the world's love, is the most divided it's ever been. Our world is divided. Humanity is not united. I don't want that kind of love. I want divine, good, godly love. And so maybe for me, my definition needs to change. That the love that I understand doesn't define God, but that now God needs to reimagine and shift my understanding of love. And church, let me just put it this way. If we as God's people really begin to grasp this concept, the whole earth will be changed. Because that's the kind of love that sent Jesus to die for you and I. It's changed the course of history. It changed the course of humanity. It changed the destiny of souls, billions of souls. That's where our aim needs to be. And so we need to redefine What love is according to what God says and shows it to be. And so what's beautiful about this little passage here is that we get some definitions. We get some ideas. We begin to see the beauty of love. So let's see. Look at verse 7 as we continue in here. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Okay, so we are supposed to love as God loves Verse 9, here we go, it says this, this is how God showed, everyone say showed. showed, love is expressed, right? That means for all of us in this room, if you have a hard time expressing love, you need to get comfortable with it, because it needs to be expressed and it needs to be received. And so how did God for us show us what love is? Well, what did he do? This is how God showed us his love among us. What? He sent his son, his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. It's shown. It's not shown in what God says about us. It is shown in what God did for us. Love is active. Love has it goes. It moves. It has some some girth to it. Like it 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 hits people and doesn't just say what it is, it shows what it is. Because how many of us know talk is cheap? How many of us, you've heard people tell you all the time, I love you. And you're like, really? Because I cannot feel the love from you because your actions are saying something so different. I, this is, you got a weird way of showing that love. It seems like you love you. And I could or could not be the beneficiary of that. So this is how God showed his love for us. He gave his only son so that we may live. He gave everything. He showed it and not just saying it from heaven. I love you. His love, God's love is so tangible that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. That's life changing. That someone would send their only son, and when we were so undeserving, that Jesus would come here willingly to die for you and I. Has bitterness caused you to miss that? Has anger and hurt of the past caused us to go, yeah, I know Jesus came for us. Have you gotten over the fact that Jesus came to earth for us? And like this is not like a disputable fact anymore. Every scholar in the world will agree that Jesus was a real person who truly lived and truly died. And we don't know where he's buried. Why? Because you don't go to places where people aren't. God showed his love for us in that his son came so that we may live. God is the source of love. God showed us how we are to love. And bitterness will rob you of this. Like in this room, okay, I know you're angry. I know you're upset. I know you're hurt. I know that this has been hard on you and that life is difficult. In those memories, they seem to just rob your joy. But have you received and have you heard that Jesus came, not for this room, not for all of eternity, but it, like literally in this context for you. For you. And some of us have like a hard time receiving this kind of love because it's so foreign to us because everything else that we've experienced From our relationships to the church to something like that has told us a different story. And we say, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about that. I'm afraid to accept that. Because what if it isn't really like that? Because a lot of people have promised me that they would love me. A lot of people have told me that they would take care of me. Are you allowing the world's kind of love to define who God is now? Are you allowing God to define how it really should be? And so, what happens for us is love is shown, but now John's going to go even further and say that it is defined. Like, here is what it is. Like, it is shown, but now let's see how it's defined. This is love. Like, here it is. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God. Loved us, right? But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does this mean? Listen to what one commentator said on this verse right here. This marvelous act was prompted not by man's love for God, but, but, but for God's love for man. So that sending God's son was both the revelation of his love, how he showed it, but it is the essence of the love itself. So what does that mean? That, that what John says is this is love that Jesus came into the world and, and that we didn't love God first. Does that like hit with anybody here? You did not have to show God love for God to love you. Some of us live in this world of earned love because that's what the world says. Do all these nice things for me, then I'll love you. We live in contractual kind of love, right? You got to do these things and then love comes. God is the opposite. Love is there. And then we do these things because of love and what we have received, not because what we need to earn. Love is defined in this way. It is self-sacrificing and love gives. That's exactly what John is going to say here. It is self-sacrificing. Jesus came from heaven to earth to die for our sins. He sacrificed himself for us. And he gave. He gave fully and completely. Like God did not hold anything back to rescue humanity. He gave everything. And do you like in this room... Are you able to receive that right now? That God gave. Because how many of us in this room feel like we don't deserve good things? Let's just be honest. Someone gives you a gift and you have a hard time accepting it. It is a gift of generosity and of beauty. You're like, I can't. Why? You, some of us say, I don't want to owe somebody. But really at the root of that is, I don't feel like I deserve this. That's why I don't think kids have a hard time receiving gifts. They haven't messed up so much yet that they don't think that they're worthy of anything. Right? You're like, give a kid a gift? They're like, yes. Right? And we as parents are like, no, 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 you can't. No, no, no. That's too much. Kid's like, what do you mean it's too much? I'm just, I'm receiving the gift. Because the world hasn't got into them and into their life and into their minds so much that they now feel so unworthy. And so the question is, like, in this room, has bitterness caused you to miss what God is doing and make you feel so unworthy? Because let's be honest, part of your bitterness is how could someone ever treat me like that? And then you start to believe the lie that you deserve to be treated like that because you're really not worthy of much more. Your past is this kind of constant motion track in your mind, and you go, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy. The Bible says you didn't have to be worthy, that God showed his love for us by sending Jesus into the world, and that we didn't love him first, he loved us first, right? So God's love gives, but it gives fully, nothing is held back. This is foreign to us, like you give everything when I've given nothing. Yes. You go, I don't, I don't get that. Thanks be to God that he's defining love and that love isn't defining God. That he's saying, hey, there's a new standard here. There's a new way to do this. This is perfect love. This is godly love. God held nothing back. He gave everything. But not only that, God gives in a way that he wants to give what is best for you. And some of us in this room are really struggling with that right now. Because what you're living through and what you're going through in this world doesn't seem like it's best. And you know what we've done? We're halfway through the book and we judge the end of the book by the middle of the book. And how many of us know we can't do that? So have you closed the book of your life on God because the middle of the book is rough? Do we need to redefine in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls right now that God's love wants what's best for you? And he produces it in your life in a perfect way. But some of us have like, Kelsey reads a lot, like a lot. Like sometimes I'm like, how do you read so much, right? And she'll read these books and I I buy like osmosis get to read these books too. Half of our conversations are about these books, right? And like, I'm driving to dinner the other night. You know what our whole conversation was about? This crazy book. And I get real sarcastic. She'll tell me something. I'm like, and then what happened? Oh, the person who was locked away is actually the one who murdered people. And the husband now knows and he's protecting her. Oh my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, here we go, right? But what happens is, it's like, what if Kelsey shut the book in the middle of the book? It was like, man, this book is messed up. I, I don't like this story. I don't like this part of the story. I, I don't, well, well, you know what? I'm done with this book. Kelsey, I've even heard Kelsey tell me, she's like in the middle of this book and she looks at me and she's like, this book is not good. And I'm like, oh, because I'm like practical. Put it down. (laughs) Start a new book. I know a great book. It's right here, right? But like, chill. But what is Kelsey's like, it's like everything. Episode on TV, like everything has to be finished. And you know what happens more than half of the time after she tells me this book isn't good? She'd be like, oh, but you should have seen the end. It all came together in the end. See, some of us in this room need to pick up the book on our relationship with God again because it's not the end yet. And that God loves you so much he wants what's best for you, but sometimes the middle of the story is messy. And sometimes the messiness is our own doing. We don't like that. And we, we got messy churches, and we got messy people, and we got messy pastors, and we got messy, messy, you know, governments. And we got, me- like, the world is a mess. I don't know if you've ever read the end of this book. It gets pretty good. The end of this book is actually really amazing. And actually, the story doesn't end with the end of the book. The story lives on for eternity. Have you shut your life off to God? Or do we need to reorient our understanding of love and understand that God wants not what is convenient for us, not just what will make us happy, but God wants what's best for us. And let me tell you how messy best gets. God's best was sending his son to die for you and I. And so God gets messy. And God gets that sin destroys and leads to death. God gets it so intimately because he's the one who paid for it. But what if God didn't love us enough to give us his best? What if this life actually became about us earning our way to heaven and not that heaven was purchased for us through his son? Aren't you glad that God gives his best? You just got to get through the mess a little bit. And some of us in this room are about to give up. And I'm going to just tell you right now don't give up. Don't give up. And so, what happens is, is love is shown, it is defined, it gives, and love moves. God went from heaven to earth so that we may know him and that we may move towards him. It moves. It's not this kind of love of simple convenience. And guys in here, I think we struggle with when we hear the word love, 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 love all the time. We think of like romance. This is not the kind of love that God is talking about. This is the kind of love that will spare its own convenience so that you may be rescued. You know, the Spartans, they're this like kind of warrior culture in Greece. And they have this phrase and this saying, this is the kind of love that we're talking about. When the Spartan soldiers would go off to war. They would have a phrase that they would say, come back with your shield or on your shield. What does that mean? Win the battle or die trying to win the battle. That's this kind of love that is like, I'm so for you that I will die for your benefit, for your best. When Jesus comes from heaven to earth, it is that kind of love. This isn't a convenience kind of love. This is the die on your shield kind of love. Go to earth and come back on your shield. You will be raised again and show victory because death cannot hold you. But Jesus gave of his convenience. Jesus gave of his, his prestige. Jesus gave and, and forsook Everything so that we may live here. And he literally died on the shield so that we may live. It moves. It moves. So let me ask you in this room, what kind of love do you have for your family? What kind of love do you have for your friends? What kind of love do you have for this world? Because if we're all just sitting in our homes as God's people, we don't get this. Because the kind of love that we've received causes us to go into places that harm us so that we may win those people to him. That's the kind of love we operate in. That's the kind of love that we we walk in as God's people. And when we really begin to believe that that love was for us and that what God calls us to is God's best for us, now we can trust wherever we're headed. And bitterness will rob you of all of that. And it will cause you to be blind to this kind of love. And it will cause you to say, you know, you turn your eyes from heaven and you turn your heart inward. And this all becomes about you protecting yourself. And this all becomes about like never having another hurt in your life again and never dealing with this again. And so I have a grudge and I have a memory that will never forget what happened to me. And I have all of these things that go on in my life. And man, this just dominates me and it controls my life. And now I hate happy people and I hate people who have joy and I can't be around the church because they're like these people and they do these things and I don't understand it and I hate being there because it reminds me of everything that I don't have. And so what do we do? I can't be here. I got to go. I can't be in these relationships. I can't be this kind of dad. I can't be this kind of husband. I can't be this kind of wife. I can't be this kind of mom. I can't be this because, man, I've experienced too much hurt. And now I need to protect me. When God is looking at you and saying, why don't let you let me protect you? And not miss out on all of this beauty that I have for you in this world. And let me control your heart. Let me define what is good and what is not. Let me define what love is, and that in the midst of hell, you can find relief because I am with you. Because what I have for you is beautiful and it is good. The hope for us is not just heaven, guys what is heaven? Heaven is us being with God. Why can't you live with God now here? Why has it always got to be out there? Why can't it be right now? And I'll tell you why. Because bitterness is a freaking thief. And it will blind you. And it will steal from you. And it will tear you down. And it will grow roots deep that will keep you planted. And all of it, like, blinds us to this beauty of what God is. And who God is. But not only does God move us and moves towards us, but it tells a story. Look at what the Bible says in verse 12 as we continue on. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The way that we love and treat other people tells us what we truly believe. How you live matters because out of the overflow of the heart, right, out of the overflow of what's in there, we behave, we act, we move. And so what's in your heart? Is your family desperately needing you to receive this kind of love because they so desperately need it? Does your spouse need you to grasp this so incredibly much that they are suffering in the world's kind of love that you have for them and not the godly kind of love that you have for them. Are your kids drowning in misery because of what is going on? Are the people around you suffering because we decided to pick up the world's love and not God's? Here's what else this means. That if we do pick it up, the people around us will prosper. That our families will prosper. And I'm not talking about like, oh, I love God. Now I got a million bucks. Here we go. I'm talking about that they will know that no matter what happens, you're in. And you are for them. And you are with them. And you will do what is best for them. Because God has done all of that for you. And that kind of love has transformed you. And the story that your life tells is one of grace and hope and joy and love. What story does your life tell? It tells a story. No one has seen God, but we can see the evidence of God in humanity when humanity lives and loves like God does. What does your life tell the world? Because here's what is so important. In, in all of these things, I think one of the hardest parts of bitterness, and why we deconstruct and do all of these things and leave, is because honestly, our security's gone. Like we feel like exposed. We feel like, man, this is going to kill me. Like I, I'm out here and I got no protection. I'm going to die. I can't. I can't do this because now we feel so insecure. And when we feel so insecure, we hide. But listen to what John says, and I'm going to pick up on just a few verses here as he continues, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. We talked about that. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we become believers. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. We know and we rely on this love. Look at what it says as we continue here. God is love. Whoever lives in love, whoever lives in in this kind of love, lives in God and God in them. This is how, verse 17, and this is where we're going to pick up. Look at what the Bible says here. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have what? Confidence. Everyone say confidence. confidence. We will have confidence on the day of judgment. We have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect, made perfect in love. Here's the reality of what John is saying. In God's kind of love, you can be secure. You're secure. You are secure in God's love. You are secure in this moment. You are okay in that there is nothing, we talked about this last week, that can separate you from him. That you can be confident. Another word for confidence is you can be secure. You can know that God loves you and that's never going to change and that when you believe in what Jesus has done and you confess it with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you can stand before God on the day of judgment with no fear because the perfect love that you have received from God casts it all out. And you know what I see a lot of in the world? I see a lot of people operating and loving in fear. What does the Bible say? Perfect love casts out fear. So what would that mean for you in your relationship with your partner? Would it, what would that mean for your relationship with your kids or your parents or your boss? If they had in sense the kind of love that is like this, could they be confident that they are secure? Do your kids know, like for real, because of the way you've loved God, you've loved others in the way that they've seen you love, that no matter what they do, you will always love them. Or have they seen conditional love? Have they seen the kind of love that lives in the world? Or have they seen godly love in your life? Are your kids secure? Is your spouse secure? Do they know? Do they know that, hey, they're not going to be perfect? They're, they're never going to be these things, but the love of God lives in my spouse. And so I am secure in this marriage, in this relationship. I am secure. Do you in this room feel secure? Because when we do not feel secure, we will do desperate things to get security. We will do desperate things to make sure that we are okay. And if you're living in the world's kind of love, because bitterness has robbed you, you will never feel safe. You will live in fear constantly. Bitterness will blind you. And this is what John says. Fear And God's love are mutually exclusive. And in fact, some of the reasons you deconstructed in this room is because everyone presented God is that you better be scared of him so you don't go to hell. And that's why you believe, because you don't want to go to hell. Wrong. The reason that we believe is because he loved us. We respond to love, not fear, as believers in Christ. And so let me ask you this. Are you using love or fear to control people in your life? Because if you use fear to control, and like parents, I know that this is a big parenting tactic. If you do this, this will happen. What's that? Fear-based. You're going to like all these things? Yes. Of course, there's going to be consequences, okay? Of course, things are going to need to happen in your life when kids misbehave. We are trying to raise up good people. But the reality is, is w- what way do you operate? Fear or love? Is the perfect love of God in you, and are you believing it enough that it changes you? And here's the best news as we end the chapter and we get ready to end the day. Cody's going to come up in just a second. Here's the best news. We read it earlier, but we're going to we're going to really put it to bed here. God made the first move. First John chapter four verse nineteen. We love not because he, or we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister. Whom they have seen cannot love God. Whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. God made the first move. And because God made that move we can now make that move in the lives of others. And you're like, I know, but that's scary. And I've been hurt and bitterness makes me scared of this. And what if I get hurt again? I know that you may be hurt again, but do you rely and trust enough in the goodness of God that that's not the end of the story and the story's gonna be continued to be written and you will be okay. And you and I can handle the despise of humanity because we have the love of God that God's love is so overwhelming in our life and we experience it so greatly in our own life that the glares and the snare and the disappointment and the anger and the bitterness and the fear and the revenge of the world has nothing to do with us and our decisions because we so rely on the love of God because he made the first move. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so as we get ready to end, you go like, Pastor Blake, this is incredible, and I want this. I want this love, but I don't, I don't know how to get through bitterness. Like, it is, the roots are so deep in my life, I feel like I'm suffocating. It's really simple, yet profoundly hard. And here's what it is. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive you. Forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't mean everything goes back to being exactly the same, but it means that root of bitterness is gone. I am choosing no longer to hold on to this, but I have given it to Christ. So what do you do? How do you do that? Listen to what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You say, well, they didn't deserve it, and they didn't say sorry, and they don't even know what they did, and man, I'm so hurt. Thanks be to God that God loved us first. This is the kind of love that we are to walk in. And we do not give forgiveness because they deserve it. We give it because we're called to it. Because we have been forgiven much. And the things that we did against God, God's love was so much greater than that. It wasn't an obstacle for him to hop over. He came directly from heaven to earth so that we may live. So what do you need to do? How do you forgive? You need a perspective shift in your life. Remember how much you have been forgiven. And that same forgiveness and that same grace and that same humility needs to live in our life as we forgive others. We need to trust. Trust that God is gonna take care of it and God is dealing with it and nothing is unseen and nothing will not be dealt with. But let the the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all the universe, deal with it. You know why it's so hard for us to make things right? It's because we can't. We're not the creator of the universe. We need to release. Revenge never satisfies. I promise you that your soul will still feel empty. Allow God to do what only he can do. Stop living in the past. Let's turn the page and allow a new chapter to begin in our life. And then finally, have compassion. Hurt people hurt people. What happened to them? What was so bad in their life that they would treat you the way that they did? Have you ever thought about that? Whatever that person did to you, what happened to them to break them so much that they would treat you that way? Have compassion and empathy forgive and at the end of the day do not miss God through the bitterness that you have I know you're angry I know you're upset I know that you're hurt I know all of these things and God does too and he knew that about you when he divinely inspired these words he knew it he knew it but he also knew how good he is and how much greater he is and how much he can do in the great hope and future that he has for you. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Don't miss God because of the bitterness. It's time to let it go. Would you join me in praying as we prepare to sing and worship? God, we love you. We thank you for your word and your truth. God, we thank you for the beauty of knowing your son. We thank you That you didn't require us to love you first, but that you loved us. So God, today I pray that the perfect love that you give to us would reign supreme in our life. And that today, today, right now, freedom can begin. Joy can begin. Peace can begin right now as we turn our eyes from our hurt and we turn them towards you as we choose to release this pain as we stop living in the past as we choose to forgive and release all these things and trust in you and receive your goodness and believe that the end of the book is much better than the mess that we are in now we just got to hang in and not just hang in but jump in and participate and be a part Of what you're doing in this world and in this church and in our lives and in our families. May your love reign supreme today. God, may your people respond as you lead in their chair coming up front, singing with hands raised, grabbing someone's hand, asking for prayer. God, your Holy Spirit, please invade this room right now and lead us in the way that we must respond and give us the courage to do so as we sing to you. That there's no shame in this room because of the bitterness that we have, but it's time to let go of these shackles and to walk towards you. And so would you help every person in this room take the first step now. Holy Spirit, reign supreme in this room right now. Lead us in this moment. We love you, God. We thank you in Christ's name. And everyone said...